calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, I'm Neil Govia, director at the CFA Institute. And today I'm in Hong Kong at the Institute's 71st annual conference. Uh, my guest today for approximately the next 10 to 15 minutes is Matt Gertkin. Matt is Associate Vice President, uh, Geopolitical Strategy uh, at BCA Research. Uh, welcome, Matt. Nice to Thanks have you here today. I'm very glad to be here. So, geopolitical, it sounds as if we could cover the whole of the world in the next 10 to 15 minutes. We've got events in Korea, we've got Europe, Brexit, we've got America, and we've got China. So, um, let's see how much ground we can cover. Absolutely. So, um, to kick us off, uh, let's think big picture, international. Sure. Uh, maybe the change in the power between the U.S. and China, mm. uh, not only economically, uh, trade and trade wars potentially, but maybe politically as well, and actually the power balance. Yeah. Uh, you, you, well, you must have some thoughts and insights. Absolutely. That's, that's the foremost issue we're watching. Okay. We think that it's very important for investors and, and for uh, the media, everyone to understand that U.S.-China relations are the issue of, of the century. Um, you have China emerging as a great power once again, kind of kind of reclaiming a status that it had in, in centuries past where China was a large share of global GDP and uh, something around 20% or above and China reclaiming that standard. Uh, while the United States, of course, being the established global power and the, and the leading global economy, uh, feels, feels a little threatened, feels uh, as if it, um, it is no longer in control. And that creates a stage for, for yeah. some tension and that also, as we are seeing, is flaring up in different areas. Um, they are strategic and political as well as economic, and that's why I think you're very right to point that out. This isn't just about trade tariffs. It's, it also has to do with strategic distrust and, and political uh, disagreements as well. So we hear a lot in the moment uh, about trade wars and uh, maybe sort of certain, I know, favored countries will not get hit as much. Do you think that's going to develop into, into a big sort of spat between the U.S. and China? Yeah, I think we should all get used to trade skirmishes, trade spats, yeah. trade wars, whatever you want to call them. But do you think they'll escalate to a war or uh, it I think, I think it certainly could. Uh, if we get a calm down in the next few months, say, you know, say Xi Jinping and Donald Trump are able to uh, pacify some of the current round of tensions uh, ahead of the midterm elections and Trump is presenting that as a win to his domestic audience, uh, that's a perfectly plausible scenario. But what I would really emphasize is the secular trend, which is that the U.S. and China have seen the economic pillar of their relationship erode. Right. And that pillar, which, you know, of course, was based on the U.S. consumer leveraging up and buying Chinese goods and China being very export-driven uh, in terms of its economic growth, that has shifted. So now we're in a realm where, on top of the historic political disagreements and some regional strategic disagreements, we now have less economic engagement. And that creates yeah. an environment where, actually, we see the recurrence, uh, a permanent feature of our, of our world will be trade uh, uh, antagonism between the U.S. and China. Okay, I mean, we, we've got a lot to touch on, but I just want to stick with this relationship for a moment. Absolutely. Do you, do you think China sees that there is a, a vacuum 
uh, because I remember going back to Davos yeah. and suddenly just China saying, you know, we are the free traders, we're, mm-hmm. we're a global economy, and it was yeah. the US sort of pulling back. Yeah. Do you think there is a, a vacuum being caused and China has an opportunity to take more global leadership in that way? I, I certainly think China's trying. And I think as China does that, especially with trade and infrastructure linkages in Eurasia, which is part of the Belt and Road Initiative, they're doing that. They're filling some voids. They're going to countries that are the worst governed, that haven't had investment, that need investments to lift their productivity and have a lot of potential if that happens. It's doing that. Um, but I also think that Europe and the U.S. and Japan, uh, developed markets and, and even some emerging markets, particularly in ASEAN, uh, will not entirely buy the rhetoric of, um, of an entirely open China. They'll be concerned about market access in China as well. Yes. Whether Trump can get Europe to cooperate with the U.S. and be on the same page is kind of a different story because Trump is both alienating the, Urans, the, the Europeans on, on Iran and he's trying to get them to cooperate with him on China trade issues. So that's going to be tough for Trump. Okay, a, a curved ball here then. Yeah. Um, we'll come back to Europe, but we've got Brexit. Mm. Do you think the UK would be wiser to have a trade deal if they're going to have one uh, with China or the US? If, uh, oh, I if think, it's a hard exit. I think certainly with the US. I think the issue there is uh, simply historic ties and proximity um, and the fact that, uh, that, you know, over the long run, e- even the ability to speak English language is going to help them get market share in the U.S. Okay. So, Interesting. Yeah. Let's bring it back then um, to this part of the world. Uh, China, uh, what do you see their domestic issues might be? Obviously, huge population yeah. growth, wealth being created. Yes. Well, we're very excited about China. We're also very... Uh, a key view that we have is that as Xi Jinping's reform agenda is rolled out, uh, that there will be softness in the Chinese economy and that that could, that could take markets by surprise, uh, we think, even, even this year, uh, especially in the context of the U.S. having done fiscal stimulus and really kind of outperforming in terms of growth. Uh, we, we think that this could be an environment where China is putting more environmental regulations on, yes. uh, much more extensive financial regulation. Uh, they've got to, uh, try to try to keep the property sector under control. Um, and, and then ultimately, they want to move forward on some productivity enhancing reforms, including labor movement and some things. Uh, and as, as they push forward, which I think they have a lot of political capital for Xi Jinping to do, uh, but that, that could also uh, incur some risks and some drag on the economy, even though, of course, overall it's proving fairly resilient, etc. Nothing, nothing too dangerous, uh, but it's a divergence where you have the U.S. really stimulating and, and growing faster, and China maybe having a little bit more softness. So a good time to take um, an exposure to Chinese equity? Uh, domestic-oriented Chinese firms, yes. Okay. Uh, on That's the trade front, as you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm quite bearish. Yes. I would be disinclined to be exposed either to Chinese companies that are highly leveraged to the U.S. or U.S. large caps <laughs> that are highly leveraged to China. Okay, so you got to pick your spot there. Yeah, there. yeah. Okay. So uh, we, we've got China, we've got uh, the U.S. Uh, in between them, of course, we've got Korea. Uh, and there are going to be talks. Yes. Uh, between the respective parties, North Korea and the U.S. in Singapore, I believe, mm-hmm. on June the 12th. What do you see the end point of, or how will Korea play out and what will be the impact yeah. globally there? Well, this time is different. We have had Korean summits in the past, but I think what uh, a lot of the commentary is missing is that you've had a generational change in the Korean leadership. Uh, you've had uh, Kim Jong-un had consolidated power previously. He has signaled that the ideology, the ruling ideology of the country should include economic development as well as uh, the military. 
And he's also declared that the nuclear deterrence has been achieved so that he can kind of move on to other issues. Uh, and this was all in an environment where he tested the Americans. The Americans called his bluff. Donald Trump established a credible threat, showed that he was actually willing to attack. Uh, that shifted the logic in the region. China began enforcing sanctions and you brought Kim Jong-un to the table. So I think this is a very different environment than past Korean uh, engagement, and we have a lot of room to run. I think we can see uh, not only the two Koreas engage in, in uh, projects across the border and uh, economic and business projects, uh, but also uh, I think we can eventually start to see on the horizon a peace treaty and, uh, and uh, an economic uh, or a customs union of sorts between the two Koreas. Uh, maybe over the next five years. So increased trade opportunities with North Korea, investment opportunities in the long term possibly? Yeah, that's right. And uh, North Korea in a way is, is pivoting. They're over-reliant on China. They want to become, yes. uh, they want to diversify. And uh, meanwhile, China, of course, will still have great access to that country. And China benefits when countries like that are closed, that are neighbors, when they open up. China benefited from Vietnam's growth. China benefits from Myanmar's growth. I think China will benefit from North Korea's growth as well. But North Korea also wants other options. And uh, South Korea is very keen to, to be a part of that. And I think even the Americans are, are starting to shift. It sounds as if it could be a win-win scenario coming out. Uh, well, let's hope so. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, very optimistic on the Korean front. Excellent. So let's pop back um, over the Atlantic now and let's go to the US. Hmm. We've got midterms coming up. Um, you're closer to it than certainly I am there. Yeah. Uh, what do you see domestically? Yeah. Uh, could be the impact there or what are you expecting to see happen? Yeah, well, we are expecting uh, the Trump administration, uh, for Trump to be disappointed, for him to have a, a setback. Uh, probably the House will tip to the okay. Democrats. Uh, they only need to gain... By, by a big swing or just... Uh, well, they need to gain 23 seats okay. uh, net and, um, and they can certainly do that. Uh, so we would expect the House to turn for the Democrats. Now, the Senate's a bit tougher, and right now it's really too close to call. But what we would expect is uh, this to mean a couple of things. First of all, uh, going into that kind of, a, of an election, uh, Trump's um, likely to be fairly aggressive abroad. And we've already seen this really with the yeah. trade confrontation with China and also on Iran. Uh, that's probably going to continue ahead of the election. Uh, also, uh, afterwards, in the aftermath, uh, with the Democrats controlling the House, uh, they won't be able to repeal the tax cuts or any of the pro-growth policies or anything like that. And Trump has a veto, so anything they do pass, if it, if it does get through the Senate even, it'll have to face his veto. So what really the issue is, is whether, the, um, whether we just see a continuation of noise, uh, meaning, say for instance, the Democrats impeach Trump. Uh, we don't know yet what the Mueller investigation might yield, but remember, all they need is a majority in the House to impeach him. That's all that's required. To convict him in the Senate requires 67 <laughs> votes. That's a much higher hurdle. So probably no conviction unless we get a smoking gun from the Mueller investigation, which means you're just going to have a lot more partisanship, yes. polarization, and noise and chaos coming out of Washington. That doesn't really affect corporate earnings. That doesn't really affect uh, the overall markets. Um, what, what, could, what could become an issue uh, or something to watch, certainly, would be whether Trump himself uh, pivots and finds a way to cooperate with Democrats on legislation next year. But that would require their leadership to not move forward on impeachment. So that would be the surprise, really. Yes. Okay. I think the expectation should be more chaos, but uh, not necessarily something the markets uh, would need to worry about too much. It's really the Fed that's more likely to kill the bull market than, <laughs> than impeachment. Right. But, okay, impeachment sounds like such a big word. Mm. Um, 
you know, and every time he comes up, this is always very unlikely, etc. You know, do you think that's even on the cards? I know you said that the, oh, the House would have to swing. Yeah, I mean, if the House, uh, if the Democrats have a majority in the House, I don't think um, I don't think it's hard at all to see them impeaching Trump. Again, impeachment is simply the process of putting the president on trial, and as Gerald Ford said. Uh, an impeachable act is something that a majority of the House of Representatives deems an impeachable act. All right, okay. So, so they could impeach Trump for having broad. the wrong colored socks, and I think <laughs> they have a lot more reasons to dislike him than that on the Democratic side. And we saw that with Bill Clinton, too. Polarization is the driving feature in U.S. politics today, and it's even worse than it was in the 1990s. So. Seems to be getting worse as well. Yeah. Um, we've only got about uh, a couple more minutes to go. Let's just uh, bring Russia into the picture. Oh, yeah. We're, we're zipping around the world. Mm -hmm. We haven't mentioned Russia yet. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts regarding Russia and investment-wise or politically? It, yeah, Russia's an interesting case. I think that we have seen a, uh, an, a kind of explosion of sorts in terms of the sanctions, in terms of the assassination that they uh, were somehow implicated in in, in the UK and the backlash. And the yeah. uh, so this has uh, been a low point. Uh, on the other hand, uh, really, if you examine what Putin plans for his fourth term in office, it looks to be shifting. He looks to be pivoting more toward governance issues, living standards, fiscal spending at home, uh, because support for the government is weak. Support for Putin is high, but support for the government is weak. And, uh, the, and is that a threat to Putin, though, or is he in, you know, he is the leader and nobody can touch him now? He's fairly secure, but yes. he does ultimately need to be sure that he maintains the will of him. the people, yeah. yes. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, of course, is that um, is you've seen inequality and, uh, and a whole bunch of other uh, social ills really creeping up on Russians uh, and the, the pace of middle, middle class growth slowing down. So that's something where uh, we would expect Russia to focus more on those internal issues and less on military adventurism. Uh, and they're going to have the funds to do it because they have had very orthodox policy uh, domestically and on a macroeconomic front. And also they have high oil prices to help them. So in a way, we could see a lot of the Russia tension fizzling out uh, as, as Putin becomes more focused on domestic uh, stability and support. Well, Matt, um, we have to wrap up there, but I don't know how you sleep at night. You've got so many things you've got to all cover. Yeah, I, no, I don't, you do. yeah, I don't <laughs> I'm not at all surprised, <laughs> but you stayed awake enough to have a nice conversation today, and I thank you for that. Thank you, Neil. Thank you ever so much. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Copyright 2018, CFA Institute, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.